Welcome to O Timothy. Brother Matt Marshall here, along with my co-host, Josiah Cheedy. And I'm so thankful to be with you here today. We had a great time last time on the podcast and uh, opened up the proverbial can of worms. Um, it is the hot topic in the coffee shop of Christendom, music and um, and what it means. And of course, uh, everyone, every one of us have opinions, but we all, uh, if we're holding to the same same Bible, we all have the same words. And so we're trying to derive God's heart and God's intention for us uh, in the music that he has involved with. But I'm thankful that, uh, that, that, that we're able to talk about these things. And I really just want to try to help some Timothys out there that are sitting, uh, maybe like to sit across the desk from us and had a question concerning these things. And I don't want to have the spirit of know-it-all, nor do I want to have the spirit of no one knows anything. Um, I want to have the spirit of Christ, and that is to learn of his word and and uplift him. So that's what today's all about. Brother, Brother Josiah, how's your week been? Have you enjoyed the winter? I saw some pictures of you, you there, like the bottle of snowman. Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that stuff like, is it packed up like two feet on the side of the road or something? Oh, yeah. It's uh, at the end of my driveway. Um, it's actually above my mailbox, and it's about up to my chin, the pile. Oh, boy. From shoveling oh, boy. and everything. So. Yeah, when they came through with the plows, it all went onto my driveway. So then we had to shovel it off. And thankfully, a neighbor had a big snowblower. And yeah, it's been, uh, I think we were in the negatives since Sunday. It's been in the negatives and uh, negative degrees. Just today, it got over like eight degrees or something. It's supposed to get up to maybe 20 tomorrow. And and so the the kids have been stuck inside all week and uh, had a snow day. And, uh, but now today it was their first day going out for recess and they're playing on the snow hills and everything. So, but yeah, it's, it was like a foot and a half or something total, wow. total accumulation. So yeah, this was uh this was a big one for us in the last three years. This is probably the biggest we've had. And, uh, you know, it's all over the road still. I mean, you, you know, you can't even see any lines on most of the roads cause they couldn't clear them fast enough. And, and, uh, and it all just froze. I mean, it's crazy. So yeah, it's been cold, man. It's been real cold and, but we are having a good week, having a good time. Everyone's just kind of been hunkering in the bunker, you know, but, um, yeah, but we're having a good time and been able to have some fellowship with some folks from church and, and, uh, still getting together and, and, uh, doing some discipleship things and things like that. So it's been good overall and had a good night in church the other night. We've been teaching on, the believer's inheritance and judgment seat of Christ and keeping those things in mind and uh, walking in the spirit and that kind of deal as all that stuff intersects in the Christian life and very applicable, of course, to everyday life, the judgment seat of Christ. So um, had a good time preaching that, but yeah, we've had a good week and we're having a lot of fun over here. It's fun to see the kids enjoy the snow, enjoy the winter, even though it is, you know, just bone chilling and uh, having to be out there <laughs> three times, a, you know, three times this last week, shoveling the snow, get a workout every morning, man. I don't have to go to the gym. I don't have to do anything. Just go outside and shovel some snow, man. And it's uh it's quite the quite the workout, but um it's been good. So how you been doing out there those... in sunny? Go go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, do you remember those first few weeks um of COVID where we all locked down and how old were your kids at that time? Oh man, that would have been uh my oldest would have been six. So six, okay. three, and like one and a half, two years maybe. So Tim yeah. was going, was in his 10th grade year. Um, and so, you know, it was like, oh, this is a big snow day. And I remember there was this uh, inside tent challenge going on. Did you see that? Oh, Where yeah. People were, yeah. you know, making a, a homemade tent inside the house and stuff, you know. And so it's like, oh, this is so exciting. Week one. <laughs> all right. And, you know, it's like trying to figure out what to eat and going to Walmart and wiping off the, the bags, you know, with Clor- Clorox wipes. And, and then it was like, you know, and listen to Fauci, you know, yeah, yeah, don't do anything. We're all going to die. I'm going to help you. Anyhow. Um, and then, and then the next week it was like a second week of, of snow days. Okay. All right, now what do we do? You know, <laughs> right? Did you, hear, did you see that one video where this guy's looking at his phone and and a, and a guy says, on the the voice on the phone says, "What would you rather? A spend two weeks alone with your spouse in the house, or B?" He says, "B." <laughs> I saw some version of that. That's good though. Yeah, <laughs> B, so true. B. I'll take B. <laughs> 
Well, snow days are great, you know. Um, in yeah. fact, my sons found this song called Snow Days on Amazon, you know, on um, Alexa. Somehow they, mm -hmm. you know, they learned, they said, Alexa, play something about snow, whatever. And it's this family that recorded a song about snow days, snow days. And it has, it's just so, it's hilarious. And and so that was the, our tradition. Whenever there's snow day, we play the snow day song. But, uh, nice. you know, it, it's fun for a while. And then it's mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again. Amen. Never true, true words were spoken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amen, but, man. Know, <laughs> oh yeah well um we started off last week and we kind of um uh, you had some questions and asked one question and then i went way off and and answered it in a roundabout way but i think it was important to kind of lay a foundation which uh, i think we'll have to continue to build on but mm -hmm. uh you had some questions about music and the first one you asked last week was uh should we listen or sing listen to or sing songs written by a contemporary artist or even secular musicians. So before you ask the second question, I'm going to play the role of a teacher here, if that's okay, and do. ask you what you learned from last week and what we both talked about. What did I learn? I didn't learn anything mm -hmm. from you. No. Um, okay. <laughs> you're just a bad teacher. No, I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> you, you know, know what? what? Go I'll go join my kids on the snow hills. They're in recess. Yeah. Oh, man. Josiah, uh, get Josiah, call your mom. <laughs> Call your mom and tell her to come get you. <laughs> That's right. Oh, were you my. a good student, by the way? Were you a good student or were you one of those bad students? Uh, <laughs> I'd like to think I was a good student, but... Or were you a teacher's pet? Were you a teacher's pet? I had some very nice teachers. I'll put it that way. Who had a lot of grace with me and loved me. Uh, I was never a teacher's pet. Never. Okay. No. No, but I, there was one lady who liked me a lot, and she used to call me Josie, Josie Wales. That's oh, what she called me, because Josiah. But oh, you should have told me that. You shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> I know. I, I used to tell people that, and then uh, I had a girlfriend one time, and I hated being called Josie, and she would just call me that all the time because she was just kind of that way, and she would just say that all the time. Like, stop it! Stop it! But uh, <laughs> as a kid, it was fun. It was cute. But uh, yeah. So what did I learn? Let's get back to that. Uh, what yes, did I Josie, take it away, Josie. <laughs> All right. What I learned was definitions matter. So we talked, you, you really pushed on that contemporary. And that's really what hit me at the end of the whole thing. I mean, I took notes on everything, but I think the first, the big thing I took away from was defining these terms properly. And because uh, what we're really talking about is not contemporary as in um, what some people might define it as, even myself sometimes when I'm preaching or I'm speaking a certain way. I'll say, I'll just use a blanket term like contemporary. And what people really mean is worldly, devilish, sensual. It's of the world, of the senses, or it just emphasizes those things. And that's what people mean. Uh, so use that terminology. Don't use the word contemporary because we sing, you know, there's, if you were to take that, you know, that definition uh, seriously, you would never sing anything written by Ron Hamilton in the last 15 years. You wouldn't sing anything written by, um, you know, the good uh, people at Bob Jones or Hiles Anderson or PCC who are writing, some people are writing really good music and really good songs. Um, so yeah. that was a big thing I took away. And then, and also what is prominent in the music itself, rhythm, melody, harmony, what is prominent? And that's what we should be looking for as far as just practically in music. So that was a big thing. And of course, who gets the glory? That's been something on my heart, even in my preaching, um, you know, who is getting the glory because music is used in worship. It is almost exclusively uh, in worship in some way throughout the Bible. Um, and then so in our Christian lives, as we consider music, um, we should be considering what are we drawing our attention to in that music? And mm. obviously for the Christian, obviously in church and our personal choices or with the family or whatever it may be, you know, what are we drawing our hearts and attention to? And that's mm -hmm. what music is, is connected to, even in the New Testament and Pauline epistles is he connects it with the heart. You do this from the heart. So, mm -hmm. you know, what's in your heart? So what are you singing towards and what are you putting value in uh, and worshiping? So those were the, I guess those are two things, three things uh, that I really took away from last week. Um, and I, I mean, I took notes on everything you said. And I think I've had even some of those notes from your brother a little bit. You know, he's gone over some of those things too um, that help, have helped me in the past. But it was a good reminder last week. So I hope that answers your question, teacher and uh, Professor Marshall. And, uh, but put, no, really, put, that put was... your hand down, put your hand down. 
<laughs> no more raising of the hand. No, I, uh, yeah, you got it. I mean, you got the basic gist. And of course, I, like I said, I probably wasn't a very good teacher in that you asked a certain kind of question and I took it a different way. But sometimes you have to kind of refrain, uh, excuse me, rephrase, reframe the question in order to get the answer that you're looking for. And I think you're right. Definitions matter on this. And as Bible believers, we say that now the word contemporary is not in the Bible. And um, but it but the concept of of someone of his day. And of course, there were you know, we say that that prophet was a contemporary of this prophet and that they lived at the same time. Now, the word contemporary, to be fair, I, I pulled out a, and I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I pulled out a, a little magazine here for a, a VBS. And in this ministry, they offer both contemporary and traditionally themed music for that vacation Bible school. So um, what they're saying is that they, they show the difference between traditional and contemporary. And I, I think what they mean is traditional sounds like the songs you used to sing and contemporary sounds like the songs are being written now. Well, I would have to say that that I get that point. I, and, and that's what you meant by, you know, should we listen to contemporary artists? But if we step back and say, if we're going to use the word contemporary as um, um, songs written by rock people I don't like or songs written by Christian people who play rock music or lean towards rock music, then we're going to not only dilute that word and kind of put it in one way and not get at its root definition, but we're also not going to be able to answer the question of should we sing any song that's written today? You know, it, it, mm -hmm. we are not. And if that's the case, then you've got to go all the way back to when the songs that we think are really doctrinally sound and biblical, um, when they were introduced, what was the, uh, the criteria for making those good songs? And, and, you know, there's an argument to go back and forth on this. I think that's why we have to be careful because sometimes when we say that song, that stuff is good music, what we're saying is I like it. Even if it's conservative, we're saying, I like it. And we don't actually mm -hmm. know why it's conservative and why we should like it. On the flip side, we don't know why something else is more sensual and why we shouldn't like it or desire it. <clears throat> and so I try to back down on the principle, uh, back down to the root and the foundational principles so that when you build it back up again, you're not having to take out a bunch of foundational things that you put in incorrectly. Right. <clears throat> right. Yeah, it's really good. And I appreciate that you took it that way because we need to uh, we need to be able to, like you said, strip things back and have the proper structure. That's what everyone needs when asking and answering these questions, um, because uh, it's just I, I just believe it's too important. Music is too important to um, to really I don't know if the right terminology is play games with, but it's not something that we should take for granted. Um, and just assume it's all good or assume it's all bad. Obviously, as we talked even a little bit last week, you know, music is not immoral. It is moral. It has spirit connected with it. It has things that are very specific. So we need to uh, be able to strip all that back. Um, you know, I'd like to get into another thought, but before we get, um, before I ask another hard hitting question that you probably won't even answer. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I kid, of course, uh, we'll get to it. Mm. Um, but I, I, that word sensual, we talked about it a little bit after the podcast last week. I just want to throw this at you. There's maybe a little bit of a curveball. It wasn't necessarily in the questions that I had kind of given you. Um, but that word sensual, what if you were to define that or give us a, just a quick understanding when we use that word? Because, you know, so much of the preaching I heard growing up as far as in you could say fundamentalism or just camp meeting style preaching where a guy has his one shot to get a message across. He'll throw words out like it's just sensual. And, you right. know, to some to some that might mean, uh, and forgive me, I'm not trying to be crass, but sexual, uh, mm -hmm, and certainly mm -hmm. it can tend itself to that. But is that what we're talking about? Is it because it is it is it explicitly something that has to do with uh, fornication or adultery? Or uh, is that what we're talking about when we say something is sensual? So could you maybe just shed a little bit of light on that and then uh, maybe get some other questions? But I would just man, I think that would be something to consider as we are deciding what personal music choices to have you know we talk about that word sensual what does that really mean great question it only shows up twice in the bible and both times um it builds upon itself so we referenced um james three fifteen, and you know the context there is 
if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. So this is someone who has uh, uh, fleshly um, responses, right? Bitter envying and strife. Uh, that that could be something in the mind. It could be something in the mouth. It could be something in the body. But then it says this wisdom, this bitter envying and strife is not from above. All right. So he d defines James as this is not from heaven, not, not of God, but comes from the earth. And then says sensual, devilish. So the wisdom of bitter envying and striving and trying to outdo each other doesn't come from God, comes from the earth. And it is earthy, earthly, it says, and then sensual and then devilish. So wisdom can of this world can be earthly. It doesn't have any thought of God. Sensual, it has thought of itself. Devilish, it has thought towards Satan. Right? It says, then for where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So we know the devil is the author of confusion. Right? Mm -hmm. And so... Paul is just basically saying something is not a uh, one, one thing is is of heaven that would be a spirit filled person. That's gonna be James, not Paul. James is saying what one one thing is of the earth down here, one thing is of heaven up there, and the earthly is sensual and the earthly is devilish. This wisdom. Now, if you look at the second time the word shows up, it's in Jude, and Jude verse nineteen, and that is an interesting um, chapter because there's a lot of stuff about the you know, end times, things about during the tribulation, et cetera. Um, we don't have time to dig into all that, but mm -hmm. verse 17 says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own God ungodly lusts. Okay, so you have mockers walking after their own lust, but they're not just their own lust, they're ungodly lust. Against God, no thought of God. These be they which separate themselves, sensual, comma, not having the Spirit. So, and the Spirit there is, is capitalized as the Holy Spirit. And then he says, but, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life. I think the word sensual Mean, is the opposite of being spirit-filled, Holy hmm. Spirit-filled. How do we know we're Holy Spirit-filled? That's the, that's the question. How do you know songs yeah. are spirit-filled and not sensual? So if, if a song is sensual, at least from the Scripture, comparing spiritual with spiritual, sensual is that which is not of the Spirit of God, of the Holy Spirit. Because you have... Uh, these mockers, they separate themselves. They make basically they're they're making themselves, uh, you know, some sort of leader of of men, and they're sensual and they have not the spirit. And then J James talks about wisdom that is of this earth, and it's sensual and it's devilish. So I guess if you apply this to music, is does it remind you of the spirit of God when you hear it? Now there's another concept that you got to consider. Um, and that is having, the Bible talks about having your senses exercised, right? But strong yeah. meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those, this is Hebrews 5, 14, even those who have, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil, right? So mm. if you take that right there, those that have their senses exercised to be able to determine or sense, um, good the difference between good and evil and you apply that to exodus 32 we talked about that last time and that is uh, moses said that it it was the noise sounds it sounds like war right the noise of the people as they shouted and and, and joshua said it's a noise of war in the camp and he said it is not the voice of them that strive for mastery neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome but the noise of them that sing, do I hear? Right? That's Moses answering Joshua, no, no, no. Um, that's not war. That's singing. So you could apply that in a spiritual way that Moses had his senses exercised, okay? In the sense that he could hear the difference between what sounded like war and what sounded like music. And he could tell Joshua that 
that right there is singing. What my point is, is you, the spirit exercises your, um, your heart, your mind, your, your, your discernment in order to know if something is spirit filled or not. But how do we actually, how do we actually know whether something is spirit filled or not, brother Josh or brother Joe or brother Josie? (laughs) How do we know if something is spirit filled or not? Definitively. How do we know? If it bears the, well, I want to say if it bears the fruit of the spirit or if it reminds you, like you, you already said, I, it, it reminds you of God or the Holy spirit. It is ministering to the spirit and not to the flesh, um, mm. exclusively, obviously your, your flesh may get involved, um, because we are in flesh. And so I may be moved to tears or I may be moved to shouting, you know, this morning I was listening to some music before coming on today. And I was moved. I had some tears. I was, I worshiped the Lord. I, you know, prayed Mm. and spent some time with the Lord. And that's not me trying to flex spiritual muscles. I'm just saying that that drew me to the Lord where I am an emotional person as well. So I'm probably not even answering this question correctly because you tend to do that to me where I get mixed up in my, my responses. (laughs) (laughs) I think you think think I'm smarter than I think I am. Um, And uh, so but I, huh? I just think <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. Now, now, you know how I feel No, um, <laughs> but that, that would be my, that'd be my answer is that it is something that stirs the things of God in your heart and mind. It is reminds you of the fruits of the spirit Galatians chapter five, um, that it should bear that fruit in some way in your spirit, uh, draws you to the Lord and not away from him. Um, and so that would be, that'd be my answer to that. Let's see. Let's see if I was yeah. right. You're very close, but it, Jesus tells us, he says, the words that I speak under you, yes. they are spirit and they are life. So in, emphatically, the word of God is how we know whether something is spirit filled or not. Say it this way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? So if Amen. you're spirit filled, more of the words of Christ will be in you and more of the words of Christ will come out of you. So how do we know whether something is sensual versus spirit filled? We have to start out at least with the lyrics. Amen. At least with the lyrics, does it have not only actual possible actual Bible verses in it, or um, you know some arrangement of that? I understand it doesn't always work out to do it that way. But the what's interesting to me here's here's what's interesting to me: the Bible actually specifically tells us to sing psalms. Mm-hmm. How many churches do that? Right. Yeah. That's right? good. We know that it's inspired. We know that it's preserved. We know those are God's words. And so, you know, I don't know how many people are searching the internet for the next artist that wrote a new melody to a psalm, to the book mm-hmm. of Psalms. That's that's not as popular, right? But that that can be done. So, I, but I'm just asking this question. You said, "Is it sens- what does sensual mean?" Well, we we define it from the Bible that it's the opposite of spirit or the spirit. So, and how do we know whether something is spirit filled? We know it's filled with the words of Christ, which are spirit and life. So ask yourself, how much does your music actually say something about, about the word and about Christ, about the gospel, actual words from the Bible that, but that's not really the argument though, is it? That's not the argument. I think most Christians would say, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, like I sang like country roads, less. I'm not <laughs> saying country roads, the spirit filled or has a gospel message or anything. You know, I'm, that's just a folk music that reminds me of where I came from. Um, that's, that's all fine and good. It, it, but the question is then, are we allowed to take the, the, the music that is typically and traditionally, we'll use the word traditionally on purpose. It's traditionally been used by either rock groups or um, something from from even from other nations that would be incorporated into uh, a, some sort of satanic worship. And and that's a whole never experience we can talk about, but a whole mm-hmm. other field of music we can talk about. Where What's the history? Where's the roots of this stuff? Uh, are we allowed to take that? And use it. So I'll give you a quote from a very popular pastor uh, out here in California. And he said, there is no such thing as Christian music. There are only Christian lyrics. What is sacred is the message. We need to stop 
defending the tune, end quote. All right, mm. that's uh, interesting, interesting. Um, now I'm gonna give you another quote. This guy's name is Lowell Hart, and he wrote a book called Satan's Music Exposed. He says, many years ago, quote, many years ago as a then young non-Christian dance band musician, I enjoyed playing in the ballrooms and nightclubs. If anyone had suggested to me then that this same music would someday be heard in evangelical churches as the quote unquote now sound, I would have regarded their suggestion as the best joke of the day. Today, he continues, we are hearing this sound, but it is no joke. It is a pitiful paradox. Songs like Amazing Grace, Oh Happy Day, The Lord's Prayer have been played on rock stations. Rock, jazz, and blues are being heard in the church, and though many Christians are questioning the trend, few are speaking out against it. Many Christian young people think that it's just about the best thing that has ever come along. Parents are confused, and many Christian leaders and pastors admit they do not know enough about music to make a decision when questions do arise. To add to the confusion, many well-known Christian musicians who were formerly traditionalists are now pushing the contemporary sounds, end quote. So the confusion comes in when something was not okay, and all of a sudden now it is okay. Uh, mm -hmm. I have a great illustration. Not long ago, I was out door knocking and with a friend and I, and we met these really nice guys, Christian guys, saved guys, <clears throat> and and connected with them on those on, on those points on on the doctrine of salvation and and it, just really good spirit. And he and he talked about how he's like, you know what? He's like, we just got to change. He says we need to change. He said, the young people have a different music. We need to change with them. He said, my daughter came around and had this rap music. Had this rap music. And he said, I didn't like it. I was like, what is this stuff, you know? He said, but, you know, I need to change. And he looks at me and my friend, he goes, and now I like the beat. I like the beat. I think it's kind of good. Now, if you'll just listen to what he just said, you'll realize something. He never said anything about asking the Lord. He never referenced a Bible verse, either for tradition or for newer music. He didn't reference any of that. He had one common denominator that made him decide that something was good before or something was bad before, not acceptable, and now acceptable. And what mm -hmm. is that? I like it. Right. Feelings, right? The question is, can you actually learn to like something that's bad? <laughs> can you can you be can can your flesh learn a bad habit or something that shouldn't it should not ingest it, or you can even step back and say are there things that are that may on the outside not look like they're wrong but as you get involved in them you realize they they have control they are addictive that's a, that's a good question is it under the control of the spirit so I, I actually and that happened recently and the guy. I was able to kind of look at it as because I said, my thought is this. Okay. What if your daughter now says, I want to marry another girl? Because mm -hmm. the culture told her that that's acceptable. And you're not for it. You're not for it. I didn't like it. But then, you know, you got to reach young people. I mean, right, how far are you right. willing to take that logic without a Bible verse accompanying that logic? You're going to, how far are you going to take that? You're going to be on a limb where you, you've completely left the faith. To, I believe we leave the faith. So, uh, you know, you could deny Christ. So how far mm -hmm. are you willing to take that? And I think, I think what we need to do is we need to drill back down to an actual biblical understanding of music and get some, get some knowledge on what music is and, and that it can actually have something that it can say. It has, it has mm -hmm. a message. Yeah, amen. I heard a preacher, uh, my past, well, the pastor I took over for, and uh, he said, uh, feelings come, feelings go. Um, I'll trust. Uh, oh, hold on. Hold on. I'm going to mess it up. I had it written down here. Uh, but feelings come. And, yeah, feelings come and feelings go. Um, but feelings are fleeting. <laughs> I'll trust the word of God for that is worth believing. And, mm. and so it's a, such a simple way to put it. And I realize everyone probably can resonate with that or has a, a similar phrase or statement that they, they have to use. Um, but that 
example you just gave, it, it's all about feeling, it seems like. And it's all about having that. You wouldn't say to yourself, oh, this is sensual. But you say to yourself, this feels good. This feels okay. And so I'm going to allow it. And, you know, we asked the question, you know, is it possible to to acquire, almost like acquire a taste? When I think of when you were saying that, I was thinking of, you know, people who drink. It's like, well, <clears throat> they are everyone who's ever I've ever talked to that says they drank or smoked and uh, has said, you know, it's an acquired taste. You know, you got to just kind of you just start out doing it. You just you just kind of get a taste for it. And all of a sudden it's got you. And I feel like music can be the same way where, you know, yeah, I don't I don't like rap. Or I don't like this. But like this like this gentleman who is, yeah, he saved man, probably a good man and on all on a lot of other fronts. But he let himself get a taste for something that he probably shouldn't have. And now he's got an acquired yeah. taste and, and now it's, it's what is normal. And like you said, where's, where does that end? And so, yeah. uh, you know, having guardrails, like you said, I think, um, you know, the best thing so far that, that you gave me that has helped me so far is, you know, the spirit filled music is music that has, uh, the word of Christ or draws you to the word of God. Um, I think that's a great definition because it's, it's a better definition than it makes me feel God, almost like what I was saying. Right. Right. It's not about because it's not about an experience. You know, our our worship of the Lord is not about an experience, although it can. Obviously, it should be to some degree experienced in the flesh. But it's if that's what we're chasing, we're chasing the wrong thing. And, yeah. uh, you know, the feelings should come later. You know, the 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 excitement or the joy, yes, can be felt, but it's it's not about that. And And if we just constantly look back at moments of of worship experiences, then we're going to be looking for the next worship experience, which then can mm. lend itself to the sensual, I need to be sensationalized, or I need to go to this conference or this meeting that has this music, because then I'll feel like I can worship the Lord. Um, yes. If you know, if you can't worship the Lord by just reading your Bible in prayer, and you can't have maybe even some of those moments, then, you know, you need to take a, I just, I believe, and this is, I, this is where I'm probably getting into opinion, but I just believe that you, you should probably take a look at at your worshiping the Lord. And I even just told a story about how I was listening to music and it stirred up some emotions, but I tried to even stop and take myself. And I, I read some scripture and I prayed and I, I just spent some time with the Lord um, because I don't want to rely on that experience alone. And, uh, and so I think we need to be careful. I appreciate you answering that, that question. Um, I think that's really, uh, really helpful. And I think it goes into really the next question that I have um, that we were getting to is, uh, you know, what should we look for in our personal, you know, music choices? What is it that we should, and maybe you already answered it. And so we might be able to just move on. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe no, it is I, that simple, but go ahead. I think that no, it's, a, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, and again, see if I can answer this by building a foundation, maybe a little bit differently. I'm gonna give you two passages against the idea that music is amoral. So when you're saying, what should I look for in my own personal music choices? Remember, remember this truth that music is not amoral, that it does have a message. So, and it's not just the words. I'm going to show you a couple passages in the Bible that prove that it's not just the words that have a message. Music is a language. It's saying mm -hmm. something. You know how I know music is a language? Is even in foreign countries where they don't know the words to Da 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 da. They know that that's attached to something where you're supposed to get excited, right? They know, they've heard that somewhere, and and so you can actually say something without even saying the words right there. How about this one? I love using this illustration because of the genius of a, of a, a composer juxtaposition against a scary story. Okay. And I say genius because it actually is, it's kind of a marketing genius and it's the, it's the story put together with it. But just think about this. I want you to think two, I'm going to give you two notes and you tell me what I'm saying, what, what, what I'm saying. Ready? Donna. Get out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Now yeah. to us musicians, that is a chromatic scale. It is a half step. So there are there are whole steps on the piano, there are half steps on the piano, and you know, um, a major scale is made up of whole whole half, whole 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 half, right? So between let's say between C and a D 
a C sharp or, you know, a D flat, however you look at that's two notes. And the, the genius of Spielberg and, and I don't even know who composed that. Was that a John Williams? I think it was, wasn't it? It would make sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I got to check that out. I'm sorry. I don't know who that is, but I'll, but you know what I was saying, mm-hmm. right? Two notes. Yep. Now you, you would have probably never. Okay. Here's the question. Would you have ever associated that as something scary had you not watched the movie? No, probably not. Now, there is a science behind notes that are put right next to each other, and that is they're grading. So if you put two, two notes, uh, C and C sharp, next to each other and play them at the same time, it does not give you a rest, rest, restful sound, okay? But it, the, the, it makes it grading to you. And even Mozart, when he was five years old, knew that. He would sit down at the piano, play a major third, and laugh. He'd play a minor third and cry at five years old. Now, maybe his senses were exercised by having a musical family. I'll give you that. But still, he knew instinctively, instinctively as a small child that certain notes and certain combination of notes can make you cry and make you sad. And right, that's why we call them minor. You know, they, they have that melancholy uh, uh, nature to them. So what I'm going to say is music is a language and it says something without the words. First Corinthians 14 is my first passage. And 1 Corinthians 14, verse 7 says, even things without life, they're not alive, even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Mm. So likewise ye... Except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. All right. Then he says in verse 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Meaning, you can put a sign by it, or you can, it's not significant as important, but significant as distinct. Like you can tell the difference, right? Mm -hmm. So, that's why we're really scared as parents when we hear, ah, and we run into the room and they're laughing. It's like, that's not what that voice was saying. <laughs> it, it has a signification of when you scream like that, something's wrong. So I tell my daughter, don't scream like that unless there is something wrong because <laughs> I want to come and help you if it's really bad. So Paul is making this argument that, and then verse 11, First uh, Corinthians fourteen eleven. therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Right? So he's, he's talking about spiritual, the gift of prophecy, and that it's better than, than other gifts. Uh, I believe that gift of prophecy is really preaching, being able to proclaim the prophecy that's already been given in this right. day and age. But, but uh, he, he makes this argument. He throws down the idea of uh, instruments having a distinct sound. And that the trumpet doesn't make this, as he says, it, a distinction in the sounds. How should it be known what is piped or harp? The trumpet doesn't make, it makes an uncertain sound. You can't tell exactly what it is saying. But Paul uses this illustration of misunderstood languages and uses instruments to say you can misunderstand what's being said by an instrument. So if a pipe or a harp and trumpet doesn't give its you know, indistinguishable sh- sound, how are you going to tell the difference between those instruments? So I think it's safe to say that every instrument has its own language. Mm-hmm. It speaks a language. That's why when a composer sits down and says, I'm going to write something that is melancholy, he doesn't grab the piccolo. If, mm. he, wants to, if he wants to say something that is majestic, then he doesn't grab a viola or a, vi- or a cello and write something for a cello. Um, he, he'll grab the brass. He'll, because there's a lower sound and there's a higher sound. And, and so to speak, those instruments have a voice. That lower has a lower vibration. It has a, a, a solidity to it. It has a, a foundational sound to it. Um, and the reason why... Da-na. and played it, you know, four, six octaves 
way up on top of the piano, a C sharp or C and a C sharp, it would have been like, I'm not, I'm scared, but I'm not as scared. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's still the same two notes, but those two notes used in a different way say something different. Okay. I, when I teach on music, I tell people this, the next scary movie you watch, like pray for daddy. Um, no, okay, that's an inside joke. Um, and next scary. <laughs> That was, a deep, that was a deep joke right there. Only certain <laughs> people are going to get that one, brother. Good night. <laughs> All right. For, for, for the unlearned, uh, my family made a movie one time about a, based on a, on a true story where a young man uh, gets saved in England and tells his dad about his dad's a bartender. And his dad gets so mad about him witnessing to him inviting him to church that he almost beats him to death. Now, the interesting thing about the movie that we made called Pray for Daddy, as in the boy is wanting everybody to pray for his daddy to be saved. Uh, the boy and that movie was my brother. Okay. That was my brother. And he in the movie was almost beat half the day, <laughs> you know, in movie style uh, with a belt that, you know, kind of, uh, kind of beat him, you know? So anyhow, um, got a phone ring in the back, forgive me, but uh, he, he, you know, so anyhow, that's, a, that's the reference to uh, pray for daddy. But when, when you have a scary scene like that and you want to not be scared, I'm going to tell you the best way to not be scared turn off the music if you have mm -hmm. a scary scene where this robber is walking down the street and he's got his gun cocked and he's ready to come around the corner in an alley you know and he's going to use that gun to to shoot somebody i'm going to tell you what they won't have they won't have this like a classical song where where it disjoints you, uh, it makes you disorientated, and you're like, wait a minute, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be something scary, but the music is calming, and what they're doing is they're psychologically preparing you for something bad that's getting ready to happen. But what my point is, instruments have a language; they say something. Even even the the low or high part of the piano says something different. Okay. Mm -hmm. It does something dis distinct sound. So 1 Corinthians 14 tells us music has a language and each instrument has its own language. All right. So if I want you to prepare for battle, I don't go, you know, or whatever. It's that trumpet. And what Paul's saying, if that sound is not distinct, people will die. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he's using this argument and that is every voice has a language Every instrument has a language. So un you want to be understood, Paul's saying. Why are we speaking foreign languages that people can't understand? If you're going to have this in the context of this day, you better have an interpreter so that people can understand you. So if you take that concept, one, that every instrument has its own language, and you go back to Daniel 3. Turn in your Bibles today to Daniel chapter 3, one of the major prophets. Daniel chapter 3 is the story of the Hebrew children and the edict mm. of the king to bow before um, this image that he made, image of gold, and he wanted everybody to worship uh, and that image of gold. If you, if you look at verse number 7, the Bible says, Therefore, at that time, here's his edict. I'm gonna, I, made this, I made this big idol and want you to bow down to it. In verse 7, Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound, of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now, if you look at verse 5, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now, Notice Nebuchadnezzar, his music crossed all races, languages, and cultures. Whatever he did, and however they practiced this, whatever band this was, it covered all nations, verse 4, all nations represented, nations and languages. All right? So the question, I guess you would say, is what kind of music did Nebuchadnezzar use? And again, his intent was to take glory, give, give glory to this idol. And among the, the people that are being commanded to do so are people that were commanded to worship God. 
All right. So we could say this is a very real illustration of what it's like to be a Christian in the world. All right. And that is to stand for what God has told us to stand for in the midst of an evil nation and in a, in a, in a wicked time. Right. We are mm -hmm. peculiar people today standing against what the, the Antichrist spirit is telling us to do. Now, Nebuchadnezzar could have used a large gong. Right. Just bong. And with the sheer power and fear of of his army and threat of death as he threatens uh later they could have bowed he could have raised a flag when you see this flag bow down he could have um did a flaming arrow in the sky <laughs> you know he could have released a cloud of smoke when you see the smoke in the air bow down i don't know pigeons maybe that was you know used for a long time as messengers so you, when you see this flock of pigeons up in the air bow down you got all these people and I'm going to imagine thousands because it says the princes and governors and captains and judges and treasurers and counselors and sheriffs and all the rulers of the provinces. All the rulers of provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. That's a lot of people. I don't know how many people, but you've got all those nations and it lists all of them, verse two. And then also says, uh, he talks about the height of the, of the statue in verse one, but verse two talks about gathering these princes, governors, captains, judges, treasurers, counselors, sheriffs, all the rulers. So he's showing his dominance and his rulership over all these people. But there's a lot of people there, and he's got to get them all to bow down. He could have used all that. Why did he use music? He could have used a flag, a gong, a flaming arrow. He could have used clouds of smoke. He could have had guys standing next to people say, bow. You know, mm -hmm. Why did he use music? The answer is music influences people. Mm -hmm. It can move you without even knowing it. Now... Suffice it to say, if I had just gone, Dana, and you hadn't seen the, the movie, you would be like, those are two separate notes. I can tell the difference between the two notes, but they don't mean anything to me. When you juxtaposition over that or on, you know, lay over top of that the story of the fact that a shark could eat you alive in the water, that's a scary thing. But the music alone, once you've associated that, it would move you without words because Jaws doesn't have words. Mm -hmm. Right. So it music is a tool that can influence people even without words. As we see here in Daniel, Paul says in first Corinthians 14, every instrument has a sound. Every instrument says something different. Daniel says, deriving from that passage, that that music can move you and cause you to do something. You say, well, um, then, you know, they're, they're doing it because they're afraid they're going to die. Well, then I got a question. How come the three Hebrew children didn't bow? Their principle, hmm. their truth, their conviction says we're not going to bow. And if you'll notice, um, everyone else did, which meant there were Jewish people that did as well. Mm -hmm. Because he took, he took people from all, all from the king's palace there that could stand in front of him, right? He carried away. Uh, these eunuchs and uh, uh, men, the children who were no blemish. He, he, it wasn't just um, Daniel and his three friends. So they didn't bow here, even with the power of music and even with the threat of death. They mm -hmm. didn't let it. But the question is, couldn't a threat of death alone got everybody else to bow? Maybe, or maybe nebuchadnezzar knew the power of music that would cross over all languages and all nations so i don't know what he did have i don't know what it necessarily sound like it sounds to me like there's all kind it's all kinds of music it almost sounds like noise um mm -hmm. like you can't really tell maybe you could not tell the distinction of each instrument but they're all listed there that's a little supposition on my point but just here's a point that needs to be made when you ask me the question what should we look for in our personal music choices recognize something about yourself and and recognize something about this this topic music is not mere entertainment music is a communicator it has a message the trumpet itself has a message when you pick it up you go that's a trumpet or when someone picks it up and you hear it you say that's a trumpet and so, again, the world is the one arguing for the power of music. The music itself, the instruments itself, the combination of those instruments themselves, it's 
the Christians saying, well, there's nothing there at all. But the world says, no, there is something there. Mm-hmm. Um, Van Christie, he's a, he's a guy who wrote a, a textbook. Uh, he's a vocal expert, and he wrote a book called Foundations in Singing. And he said, he said this in the beginning chapter, Lost Man, right? He said, music mm-hmm. is commonly called the language of the emotions, end quote. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, profound statement when you think about it. Music is called, commonly called the language of the emotions, right? That's why someone who's never been to Ireland can hear, Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. Yes, it's a common story of a guy loving a girl and then he's taken away. Or like, I think I believe the song is talking about him going to battle. And, you know, but I'll return someday. No, no, no. Right, he's leaving, whatever, whatever reason he's leaving. Maybe it's a work trip. Mm-hmm. And he's coming back and everybody's going, but he's not going to make it back. And, and, and maybe we've seen a movie about Ireland. Maybe we've seen some pictures of Ireland. But one thing we know, that's a sad story. And the music tells the story. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the words attached to it, but what I'm saying is that song is what we call a ballad. And it, that ballads are, are stories and songs, right? So that story is a guy's leaving and he may never come back. And so the music, think of it this way. Oh, Danny boy, let's take... Dan, oh, Danny boy, where are you going? Will you come back next year to me? If I took the music of the Stars and Stripes Forever and put it to Danny boy, it sounds like she's excited about him leaving. Right, <laughs> right. She wants yeah. him to leave. And she's pretty pumped that he's leaving. Maybe he'll never come back. Here's your bag. I packed it for you, right? <laughs> um, and But the music of da-da-da-da. Da, 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 da. draws you in to say there it's lyrical we call it lyrical and it has has a moving line to it and what that does it that 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 actual melody tells you something is moving forward and what's not moving forward is her love for him right her, her mm-hmm. love is he's singing she's singing to him saying don't as you leave don't ever forget me right so if if you had a different style of music or different combination of notes or even different instruments, right? Now, I think I could play the banjo to Oh Danny Boy and make you cry. Uh, one way or the other, you probably would cry. <laughs> yeah. uh, and of course, you know, Irish music has banjo often attached to it. But let's let's think of something different. Um, oh, what would be a good instrument you, would, you could use for Oh Danny Boy uh, that would not say, say the same thing? And sometimes people like to do these mashups where they take a song that's popular and put it mm-hmm. with a different instrument. Um, I'm just trying to think. I'm thinking off the top of my head, folks. This is this is live here. <laughs> uh, what instrument would not communicate? Oh, Danny boy. Well, I've already illustrated the Jaws. You know, played on a piccolo. You know, would not. <laughs> it wouldn't right, stay right, the right. same. Um, I'm trying to think about what would be a Danny boy. You 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 think about it and um, maybe maybe I was gonna say harpsichord, but. <laughs> Accordion. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. I, I, that's the only one that is wild enough in my mind that would probably ruin it. <laughs> uh, now, uh, please don't be offended if you're out there, but I think the accordion could ruin just about any <laughs> And I play the banjo, okay? So I'm used to it. That's right, brother. That's right. You know what you you know what you say the to to the uh, banjo player in a three piece suit, right? No. Will the defendant please rise? <laughs> oh my, it's so true. I love the banjo you, personally, but I get it. <laughs> what do you get when you throw a banjo out of a seven story window? Oh man, I've heard this before. Go ahead. Applause. <laughs> Yes, sir. <laughs> Anyhow, oh, if good. you took O Danny yeah. Boy and put a different instrument with it, it, probably would not say the same thing. What I'm saying is it's particularly right, right. chosen because it is an instrument that does say uh, something. And the world understands that. So Michael, uh, this guy named Mike Coyle, he's a Christian musician. He, and he says, he says something about this. He said he's, he's one of the top um french horn virtuosos in the world and it used to be and he, he played under the direction of different people like donald Voorhees and howard hansen and arthur uh, fielder some people would know arthur fielder and 
and he's making an argument of of that a syllogism is something is a, a syllogism syllogism he talks about syllogism and a syllogism is a form of deductive reasoning that consists of a major premise and a minor premise right and then a conclusion from that so a good syllogism is something that begins with a true statement but the true but a true first statement is not enough to make a good syllogism okay this is i'm, I'm building a foundation for something here mike coyle brings up the idea of a syllogism and, he, and a syllogism again a form of deductive reasoning that consists of a major premise and then a minor premise with following a conclusion. So you, but a good one has to have a true statement, but the true statement cannot just be the first statement. Let me give you an illustration. All housewives keep a clean house. Is that a true statement? Well, all good ones. <laughs> okay. So, so no, that's what I was a good syllogism must begin with the first statement being true. Okay. So all housewives keep a clean house. Mom is a housewife. Second statement. Conclusion. Therefore, mom has a clean house. Right? All men hate to go shopping. That's not necessarily true. Right. You know, John Smith is a man in your in your you know in your class. And so then John Smith hates to go shopping. You can't draw the conclusion from the first statement because the first statement is not true. So in in his in his article called Music, Is There an Absolute? Michael Coyle uses this basic syllogism, okay? And it's a foundation here, I think, that, that you'll, that'll help you. He said this, quote, Not all emotions are good ones. Surely man and his emotions were created in the image of God, but man is fallen, and with him has gone the purity with which he was created. Hate, when directed at sin, is good and acceptable. But when it's directed at a brother in Christ, it's a sin. Anger is unacceptable, except when the one who is angry is not sinning, right? Jesus said, be angry and sin not. An emotion like lust, however, is never right in a sinful way. It is an adulteration of, God, of a God-given emotion, all right? So this is what he says. So here's a syllogism. Mm -hmm. Since music is an emotional language. Now, I can hear people coming in saying, wait a minute, no, 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 it's not. I, I, I think you're denying reality when you say that. That's, that's, I'm going to make that statement. I think you're denying reality when you say that. And I can prove it this way. Go in the, in the nursery and play rock music and see what happens to the kids. Those kids don't immediately start cussing. They don't immediately start, you know, doing immoral things, you know, fleshly sexual things. But I'll tell you what they do do. They do do. Okay. <laughs> they, they start dancing. It's involuntary. Yeah. They right. will dance. So he makes this, this syllogism. Okay. Since music is an emotional language, we're going to say that's a true statement. And since some emotion is wrong for the child of God, that we know is true. I believe music is an emotional language. I believe that's a true statement. And I know it's a true biblical statement that some emotions are wrong for the child of God. Then some music is wrong for the child of God. You have Amen. to say that. So that syllogism, first statement is true. Now, the argument is, mm -hmm. is that first statement true? I would venture to say, I, I, would, I would spend some time trying to prove to you um, on the piano, on another instrument, um, with secular music, with music that you listen to, uh, that music alone moves you. That's why it's hard to pump iron to the Blue Danube walls. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh right. <laughs> Push that last plate up. Da, 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 da. Dun, 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 dun. You, I, some people may do that, but if even if you were to use music, it's just like you know, um, like the beginning of of a march for uh, a, a band in, in college, right? Even that alone, your heart goes, yeah, yeah, pump, 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 right? Mm -hmm. So that didn't even have words. That didn't even have a, a melody to it. That was just rhythm. And the rhythm itself said, let's go, let's go, let's go. So I can illustrate that it had power over you. And, and if I was to play one Blue Daniel Waltz in your ear one, one day, and then just some straight up, um, snare drums from a 
marching band the next day, you would probably get a better workout, more blood pumping with the march music. Okay. So music is an emotional language. I could spend more time multiplying some arguments on that. I don't I have in front of me my musical illustrations. I have some music illustrations, but uh, it does. So if that's possible and it's possible and true that some music, that some emotions are wrong for the child of God, then some music can be used to create the wrong emotions. That syllogism, I think, is a good logical argument. And then you have to, from there, prove what is good and, and abstain from all appearance of evil. You have to kind of um, derive and have your senses exercised that this music right here is emotional and moves me the wrong way. Let me leave you with one more thing. We're, not, we're at an hour here, and I'm not going to go as long at this time. Uh, I want to save a little bit. But a well-known British composer, he wrote a book called Music, It's Secret, Secret Influence Throughout the Ages. And here's what he said. His name is Cyril Scott. Quote, researchers have proved to us that not only emotional content, but the actual essence of the actual music, the music form, tends to reproduce itself in human conduct. Mm. I'll say it again. Researchers have proved to us that not only emotion, emotional content, i.e. Jaws, that's emotional. It's visceral. Mm -hmm. But the essence of the actual musical form tends to reproduce itself in human conduct. And so I'll go more into that in, on our next episode about maybe some of those quotes and illustrations of how music itself reproduces itself in human conduct. And the music it will move someone. And again, when I put Lauren to bed, my six-year-old, I put her to bed with lullaby, lyrical, melodic, slower, elongated notes, uh, classical style, stuff that gives your mind um, space to think. And it does not even have to be Christian words to move her to calm down. It can literally be the music itself that calms her down and vice versa. So I want you to mm -hmm. think about those things today. And, and as I build this foundation on what kind of, you know, you answer that, ask that question, what should we look for in our, our personal music choices? I think spirit filled music would be at the top and how we know it's spiritual brother Josiah. It draws us to the words of God or it contains in itself the words of God or a desire for more of the word of God. Absolutely. So start there and then back back down. You say, well, I don't know if this is the right kind of song. Okay. Which ones prove that which is good? Which ones do you know absolutely these are the right kind of songs? Right? The mm -hmm. words are the words of Christ. And they're derived directly from or a derivative of the scripture. And then back down from there. So, you know, I've always tell and when I was a youth pastor for 13 years, I would tell young people the question is not what's wrong with it the question is what's right with it amen if you will ask that question it'll help you rule out something you'll have your senses exercised to know good and evil if you know what is good based on the scripture then do that and follow that and it'll naturally the holy spirit and his words will naturally filter out that which is sensual and and worldly and devilish earthly and devilish so that's my little um, little thought today for you. Man, I appreciate it so much. That's really good. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm taking notes, man. I'm, I'm taking this, and, and I've heard it before. You know, sometimes, you know, for me, I've, I've got a good foundation of what my parents put in me. I've got a good foundation of what other teachers and stuff, but having it explained clearly, succinctly, um, and answering these questions from a perspective of start here, then answer the question. You know, let's let's really build that foundation. I really appreciate that. Um, and so any Timothy listening, man, if you're taking notes, and I hope people are listening, I hope it's getting out there. Um, you know, take it, make a couple notes for yourself, start building on, you know, if you don't, if you've never asked these questions, man, just start asking these questions. I know I've been doing it this week. I'll be honest with you. I'm asking myself every song I turn on, you know, whether I'm wanting to get pumped up or melancholy or whatever I'm at, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to be mindful of what I'm putting in my, in my ears a lot more mm. this, these last couple of weeks than I have before. Not that I was listening to anything crazy, but 
you know, just, right. just asking those questions again and filter those things. So, man, what a blessing. I appreciate it. Looking forward to next week and some more of those examples and, and getting to some of these other things. All right. Teaser for next week. I'm going to tell you a story about a lady who invited my wife and I over the house to fix her husband's music standards. <laughs> man, that's going to be great. <laughs> so tune in, tune in next time, uh, uh, download the next one because uh, it actually be a really good principle for you when developing your own music standards. Uh, this lady set it, set it up. She never told me she was, but it was very obvious that she wanted me to help her husband fix his musical standard issue. So mm. you, uh, you come back next time and we'll, uh, I'll, I'll tell you that story. It was, it was a good one. It was a good one. Thanks for this. What a, what a good time talking today. And I hope it's a blessing. And um, thank you for asking these questions. And I pray that as you're listening, Timothy, out there, that uh, the, the Holy Spirit gives you wisdom as you search the scriptures and make it all about his words. And then, and then from those words, say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Be open to him and make much of the word of God. God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day.